I don't know what that translates into in terms of playing on a black turf. I just feel like that whole announcement is like a PR case study in how to be a debacle. Talk about taking your major issue, the thing that everybody is going to talk about, and completely ignoring it. Instead, have your primary spokesperson just go on and wax poetic for paragraphs at a time and never talk about any facts. That's great. Nothing screams Division Three offseason like days worth of Twitter back and forth about new turf installs. It's the news of the weird when the national media gets hold of a Division Three story, that's for sure. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 330, season 17, episode 4. It's the podcast for August 21st of 2023. I'm Pat Coleman, the guy who's going to be delivering a kid to a Division three campus for their freshman year of college coming up in not enough days, not enough days at all. I'm Greg Thomas. I write Around the Nation, the weekly column at Division3Football.com and the co-host here at Around the Nation podcast. Pat, we are coming up to a very special year of Division Three football. Really excited to, this, I don't know if this is a, a preseason podcast. We're still in the off season, maybe kind of a prologue to the 2023 season uh, this week, but really excited to get back in the studio and start talking Division Three football with you again. Yeah, and I think this is a good time, too, to just refresh for new listeners what this podcast is, maybe a little bit about what Division Three is about, what Division Three football is like, because we will do next week a normal week one preview. So you'll see that drop into your podcatcher of choice, you know, nine or ten days from now. This one, episode 330, we're going to talk about some things that uh, happened over the offseason to get you ready for the season. And welcome, new people. Welcome, new people. Perhaps you've come to Division Three. Not knowing anything about Division Three football, hey, that is what it was like for me a good 30-plus years ago as a student. You come in and not, you know, not understanding how Division Three football works, right? It is a, boy, it's the largest division of college football. I feel like I've said that line for the last 150 podcasts or so, but it's true. I mean, there's 240-plus programs depending on whether you still want to count Sol Ross State and how you want to count Lyon College in Arkansas. But basically, think about it. To get into a top 25 poll in Division Three is almost twice as hard as it is in Division One FBS. To get onto our All-America team, to get onto our preseason All-America team, you're going to be one of the top three quarterbacks out of 240 guys who are going to be taking snaps in their team's season opener coming up here in just a couple of weeks. It is, first off, just so much bigger than basically anything that you might understand as a college football casual fan. That's right. Top 25s, All-American lists, even all regional teams are really exclusive clubs in Division Three, given the size of the division. 
not you know it doesn't scale quite as well uh for folks that are maybe tuning in or jumping on to division three from casually following division one fbs football for uh for many many years we have a 32 team playoff you would think that would be great that we would have so many spots for teams to make the playoffs this year it's going to be harder than ever there are 28 automatic bids you probably understand the concept of automatic bids from following that big basketball tournament that happens every March, right? We have those in Division Three football as well. We have those in every Division Three team sport. We have them in Division Three football. The Landmark Conference started up football this year. We told you about it more than a year and a half ago. It's happening now. They are taking away one more automatic bid. So we now have just four at-larges. Oh, yeah, this is going to be good. You think about that, meaning one out of every seven conferences will get an at-large bid. The first 28 teams automatically get into the tournament. And of the remaining 200 or so, four, four, four. I'm holding up four fingers, folks. That is not even an entire hand. Like we uh, just started this podcast and you got the four fingers out. We got we still got a ways to go. That's what the four by four's for, son. That's what the four by four's for. So just keep those things in mind. We will talk more in depth about the really nitty gritty stuff about the playoffs. Like there are pools and there's really just there's really just one. There's, there's pools. Just understand that there's pools. And strength of schedule is important. And wins against regionally ranked opponents is important. And sometime in October, we'll talk to you a little bit more about that. Getting ranked in our poll. There's 25 spots in the top 25. You would think that would be a good indicator that you're going to get in the playoffs. That is not true because so many of those teams that get automatic bids are not going to be teams that are ranked. And you could have someone in our top 15 not get into the playoffs just to keep you apprised, just to give you a little bit of an idea of what's to come if you're new to Division Three football. So we've been doing this podcast since 2007. I am one of the original co-hosts. Greg Thomas has been on the pod for four years or so, something like that. Four? I think four. Something like that, right? Keith McMillan, who uh, was the original Around the Nation columnist, sat in Greg's chair, which was really awkward because Greg's chair is in Los Angeles and Keith's chair is in the Washington, D.C. suburbs. But we're going to be talking to you on a weekly basis throughout the Division Three football season about the things that happened on the field on Friday, Saturday. And we're going to talk to people who made the news in Division Three football, and then we're going to get you quick previews of what's coming up in the upcoming weeks. And that is what you get on this podcast uh, on a weekly basis, drops on Monday morning, runs about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes or so. It's great for your Monday commute. We hear from uh, coaches who are listening to it while they're cutting up tape. Tape. Nobody plays. Nobody, nobody cuts tape. Cutting up video in this day and age doesn't involve a knife and it doesn't involve any tape and it certainly doesn't involve film but on mondays you'll have this podcast in your feed and we definitely hope you like and subscribe yeah recaps previews big stories we'll, we'll interact with our listeners we're going to get we're going to get questions from listeners we will answer your very good questions uh, as best we can and, you know, we'll have some fun with Division Three football. We'll get the serious stuff. We'll do it with some levity. And it's fun for everybody, I think. 
Ooh, serious stuff with levity. I like that. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal, right? We all started in this business as journalists. We all have real jobs. Uh, there's nobody here at uh, any D3sports.com website that is doing this full time because there's not nearly enough money in the entire operation to make that happen. But we do this for the love of the game, which is exactly what the people who take the field, take the court uh, in the various Division Three sports that we cover. Uh, that's what they do. That's why what we do. That's why we're here. So if you're new or if you checked out for the last seven and a half months, welcome back. It's the 2023 Division Three football season. We mentioned 28 automatic bids. That is because the landmark is now... Having that automatic bid, they are taking a bid away from some at-large team somewhere. The Landmark Conference has all of the other sports, and this year they sponsor football. So that is encompassing schools such as Susquehanna, I think the prohibitive favorite in the Landmark Conference, and then you know, go down the rest of the crew alphabetically. Catholic and Juniata play all of their sports in the Landmark now, like Cumming plays all of its sports in the landmark, as does Wilkes, Moravian. We mentioned Susquehanna, and then Keystone plays football in the landmark as well. That's your total of seven teams. It now only takes six to get an automatic bid, which is why, in part, we have so many automatic bids. But so, Greg, to talk about some of the ramifications of this now, we talked about, you know, Lyco and Wilkes. So they leave the MAC. The MAC gets a little smaller. The Centennial gets a little smaller. You know, they lose. Juniata and Moravian haven't done much in terms of football success in the past several years, but Susquehanna definitely has. Yeah, Susquehanna is a team that has been, you know, right there in the thick of the Centennial Conference race for a handful of seasons now. They've had some really good seasons, some one-loss seasons. They've gone to some bowl games uh, and done well there. They finally broke through, won the Centennial last year, earned that trip to the playoffs, and they walk out of the Centennial champions. Nobody will dethrone them for that. Um, and now they're they're back home in the landmark where, um, as you said, there Susquehanna is going to be the uh, the favorite there. And we'll see we'll see how that new conference shakes out as they get going this September. The Centennial Conference, of course, now down to seven teams. Juniata and Moravian and Susquehanna had had their football teams in that conference, and now. The Centennial is down to just a core seven headed by Johns Hopkins and Muhlenberg. Those are the two teams that you expect to see at the top of the conference. But that means also, Greg, there's a bunch of non-conference games for Centennial teams to schedule, whereas in the past they've only been able to schedule one. So Johns Hopkins, for example, is playing Ithaca, Christopher Newport, Salisbury, and Rowan. I mean, you look at a non-conference schedule on which Rowan is the bottom of the four teams, and that's a really good non-conference schedule. It is a really good non-conference schedule, and something that we've missed from the Centennial. It's been one of the one of the better leagues over the last handful of years in Division Three, but we don't get a lot of non-conference action from the Centennial, and so we're going to see Hopkins and Muhlenberg and Ursinus step out and play uh, some teams outside of the Centennial and get you know get a little more inter interconference feel for how the centennial stacks up elsewhere catholic left the new mac that's where they had had their football program uh in order to bring football into the landmark the new mac also 
is adding Salve Regina this year. They're adding SUNY Maritime. So this is a league that is now eight teams. And you know, SUNY Maritime and Keystone have left the ECFC. But of course, the ECFC is still hanging on as an entity and hanging on to that automatic bid. But Greg, how many teams in the ECFC for football this season? On the spot immediately. On the spot, right out of the gate. You got it. I think we're left with five ECFC teams. We're left with five for bonus points. Can you name them? Anna Maria, Dean, Alfred State, Castleton. Castleton is four. One more. It's the last one alphabetically. Which is not a great hint. They're in the top half of the alphabet by a significant margin. It's oh no, I'm gonna I have to pass four out of five. Well, this team doesn't pass very much. It is Gallaudet University in Washington, DC. I hang my head in shame. Gallaudet is the fifth. They still hang on to their automatic bid for this year and for next year because there's a two-year grace period. But Castleton goes to the MASCAC for football starting next year. Anna Maria could very well go to the Commonwealth Coast Conference. If they get below four, then they they lose their waiting period. So that might be a spot where we get one of those automatic bids left. But yes, Alfred State, Anna Maria, Castleton, Dean, or Gallaudet, one of those teams will be going to the NCAA playoffs. Imagine, Greg, winning that league at three and one. Maybe you go one and five in non-conference, which is not out of the realm of possibility. Not unreasonable at all. You've got a four and six team winning an automatic bid, and I could just see all of those tweets if Twitter is still a thing on Selection Sunday with people asking, how is a four and six team in the playoffs and my nine and one team is not? Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Tiresome. We've got a question in the mailbag. Question from Coach Cantor at Mike Cantor 3, Cantor with a K, asking, How will Susquehanna's move to the landmark affect national rankings? Great question. I know I have my thoughts, Greg, but uh, what are what are you thinking here? From a national perspective, I don't think it moves the needle a whole lot. Are we? Do we know where the landmark is going to be situated uh, regionally? I mean, I think we believe it's going to be in region two, but we haven't seen. In the two, I was kind of hoping that maybe the landmark would, would be in the one, maybe provide a, a tad more depth into region one. But if they're in the two, that's, that's okay. I mean, if Susquehanna and Wilkes remain in region two then i don't i don't think we're looking at a whole lot of effect on the on the national rankings or the regional rankings really um we're still sort of comparing those teams with the same teams that they had been compared to regionally and then nationally top 20 if we're talking about the top 25 you're looking at you win win your games when your difficult games that's how you get noticed that's how you get votes in our poll and if there's anything that changes here it's the additional opportunities for teams that are coming from the Mac and the Centennial Conference into the landmark, more opportunities for out of conference play, uh, which gives you a chance to distinguish yourself a little bit more in the strength of schedule criteria. 
Yeah, I think if you want to know a little bit more about Susquehanna, go back up one in your feed and get podcast number 329. Now, that podcast is almost three months ago, but we talked with Tom Perkovich. He's the Susquehanna head coach. We talked with him about his schedule. So, you know, you don't get the benefit of playing Johns Hopkins in your conference schedule, but... Susquehanna is playing Bridgewater. They're playing Brockport. They're playing Cortland in non-conference action. That is enough, I think, to have them be on the radar for sure for national rankings. At the very least, this is a resume that if you win those games, you should be ranked, I think, most likely, depending on how the rest of the planet goes at any particular time. But eventually, I think it's fairly certain that the... Landmark would not be rated as highly as the Centennial Conference has been over the past several years. I know I'm talking to the guy who is the conference ranking guy, but that's my that's my impression. You think about the teams they got from the Centennial. They uh, you have Susquehanna, but then you have, you know, a number of others who weren't super competitive. Yeah, overall strength. The Centennial is not quite as strong or deep as it was uh, before the, the split to the Landmark. Uh, the landmark doesn't have the same depth of quality as the centennial did either. So, uh, you know, the landmark and centennial, they're probably not equal in our rankings. Um, the landmark probably, I think when I looked at this earlier this summer, I, I felt like the landmark would probably slot in around the place where you might see the Mac, you know, somewhere in that 15, 16, 17 range in our rankings. We'll have to see how they do in September and and where that where they line up compared to other teams or other conferences. Yeah, exactly. So to answer that question, basically, the conference itself is not as much an impact on someone's national ranking as it is the actual teams that you play. And if 40% of your schedule is out of conference, we look at all of that and our voters look at all of that as well. Sticking in this part of the country a little bit as well, you know, we talk about Lyco and Wilkes leave the Mac. They leave the Mac to join the landmark for everything. And the Mac adds a program, Eastern University in St. David's, Pennsylvania, which is like southeast-ish, south of Philadelphia a little bit, um, is starting up football this season. They had a, a JV slash developmental season last year. So they are in the Mac schedule they're in the max standings this year they are one of 10 teams there it's just something new and notable to keep an eye on uh and it does give the mac a round number of 10 teams which is something that everybody likes from a scheduling purpose now the mac is going to be the conference that uh, doesn't have non-conference games to give but delaware valley who was last year's champion they're going to play Cortland, so they're going to make the most of their non-conference schedule People talk a lot about Widener being a team to watch this year. Widener starts with Lycoming. That has been a great rivalry in the MAC, and it'll be great to see that continue as a non-conference game. Uh, if you think Stevenson is going to be a contender, their game uh, in the non-conference action is at Rowan. It is on August 31st, so do not sleep on those Thursday night games in week one. All right, Greg, one of the other things we talked about all summer and maybe since before this is the American Southwest Conference and there is no new news and the old news is bad. The short version is uh, Sul Ross State did get accepted to, to Division Two. They will still be playing ASC teams this year and I believe the ASC won a petition for Sul Ross to count for them for this year as a member so it doesn't uh, trigger their uh, waiting period 
quite so soon. But every bit of news for the ASC has been bad. A non-football move, University of Texas Dallas out of that conference announced that it was joining Division Two, or it was applying to join Division Two and had a conference home to go to. Um, you know, we keep waiting for the Howard Payne shoe to drop. We keep hearing Howard Payne to the SCAC is going to be a thing. Uh, it hasn't yet actually been a thing this year. Believe it or not, it's maybe hard to remember. The ASC has eight teams for football right now, but it won't next year. And it's going to get pretty dusty and uh, pretty tumbleweedy in that conference pretty soon. The stars at night are big and very nice. I, I like the the regional visualization there. We mentioned the ECFC sort of hanging on with a limited number of teams below that automatic qualifier of six teams that you need. Uh, ASC is in the same boat, even though the football programs that are in the ASC very different than the football programs in the ECFC. Those conferences are kind of in the same boat where they are looking at a scenario down the road where they either don't qualify automatically for the tournament or they need to go find places where they can. We talked a little bit with Riley Zayas about this earlier in the off season. We don't know exactly how all the, the dominoes are going to fall in the ASC and where schools like UMHB or, uh, or Harden Simmons are gonna are gonna go. What their options are to remain in Division Three, or if they are going to kind of be leveraged into looking at different divisions. Yeah, we just we don't know. So, like you said, no new news since the last time we talked about this, but certainly something we're all keeping our eyes on. One of the other ongoing sagas in Division Three football has been Harden Simmons's non-conference schedule. And rest assured, since the last time we talked, they picked up a third Division Three opponent for non-conference play. So they are playing Albright, UW Lacrosse, and Endicott this upcoming season in non-conference action. I will say this, um, you know, Albright has certainly had its struggles, but uh, Endicott and UW Lacrosse both made the playoffs last year. Pretty different and divergent and disparate programs, right? Right. Uh, UW Lacrosse is in our top fifteen, top fifteen on most uh, ballots. Endicott not on a lot of ballots, but still a pretty solid to above solid program. And they took the call from Harden Simmons and will be hosting them on Friday, September twenty second, a Friday night game in Beverly, Massachusetts. So keep an eye on that one. That'll be fun. Great to put that on Friday night as well so that, you know, that's easy for everybody to watch. It doesn't get swallowed up in a bunch of Saturday afternoon games. That's a fun game. Endicott has had some some interesting results against some some top teams. They've done well against some good teams. And so we'll see we'll see how they fare when Harden Simmons comes into town. For years we have told people at the end of the podcast. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or a number of other specific podcast players. One of the ones we used to talk about fairly regularly is Stitcher. If you listen to us on Stitcher, do understand that the Stitcher as a podcast app is going away, but you can listen to our podcast and frankly any other podcast basically on the planet on basically any podcast player of choice. We know a lot of people listen to us on Spotify right now and that's great. 
Uh, Spotify is a great platform to do all sorts of things. Apple Podcast is great. We got a lot of people who come to the website and click the little play button, and that works too. But otherwise, you can subscribe by, you know, basically doing the actions you would to to subscribe to a podcast. If we're the only podcast you subscribe to, that is awesome. You should listen to other podcasts, but thank you for listening to ours. Greg, you mentioned at the top that this is a pretty special season in NCAA Division Three in Division Three football. Division Three celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. We will have Stag Bowl 50 this fall in a familiar place, and that's going to be a lot of fun. It is Stag Bowl 50 returning to Salem, once the signature destination for every Division Three football player and coach. The road to Salem, as it was, always started at about this time of year. We started moving the Stag Bowl around, but Stag Bowl 50 in year 50 of Division Three seems appropriate to go back to Salem and sort of reconnect with, with that bit of history with the Division Three championship. We've been a couple places since then, right, Greg? And some places where the Stag Bowl has been really welcomed and has done really well. Other places where the Stag Bowl has been an afterthought. But regardless, I mean... Even the people who have done the best job with the Stag Bowl in the last, I don't know, was it eight years or so, something like that, since it left Salem, even the best ones, and I think Annapolis last year belongs among that list, but they could never replicate the sense of history that they have in Salem, the understanding of Division Three, the love of Division Three from top to bottom, the care that they take for the student-athletes the way that the community gets into the game, the stadium is not going to stack up, right? It's not going to stack up to the places that we've been the last few years. It's not the Naval Academy. It's not the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But I think it's going to be a great event for those two teams that uh, that make it when we get there on December 15th. And, you know, the, the, the team at Salem that organized the event there, it was, I mean, it's a, it's really a generational project. They had, the game was located there for so many years. And I know anecdotally hearing from you and your experience year after year with Stag Bowls, you know, every year they seem to add a little bit more things run, you know, like clockwork and something else gets added and something else gets added and the week just kind of grows into a whole Stag Bowl week. The whole thing is an event, really great experiences for the student athletes and, It'll be it'll be good to get back to to that. I think this year reconnect with some of the people that uh, you know certainly you've known from so many years of covering stag bowls. There, uh, my very first stag bowl was 2017. That was the last time the stag bowl was in Salem, and I you know we we left there thinking that that might have been the last time we were going to see a stag bowl in Salem. So I'm excited to go back this year uh, where stag bowl started for me. Yeah, it is a one-time only thing, but it is uh, great for the NCAA Division Three folks to make note of this and realize that this is an historic moment that they should take care of. And Stag Bowl L should be in Salem. One of the fun facts, too, that the D3 folks have, at the uh, NCA have been sharing as part of this anniversary, which uh, officially was like started two weeks ago. But there are 195,000 people playing Division Three sports. That means that one out of every eight Division Three student-athletes plays football, which is 
kind of a mind-boggling number. The last time we compiled these numbers, Greg, it was like a, there was an average of like 105 to 110 Division three student athletes in the football programs on average at each school. Multiply that by 240 some schools, and you got 24,000 plus. It's pretty impressive how much of a part of Division three football actually is. So it kind of circles back to to what you were talking about earlier. 24-ish thousand student-athletes playing football. There's two first-team running backs. So, <laughs> you know. Yes. <laughs> right, and there's 25 players on our first team. Once you count kicker, punter, and punt returner, that is, you know, basically 25 out of 25,000. That is 0.1% of you make first-team All-American and 0.4% of you make All-American altogether. Yes, we are. We are committed to creating actual eleven on eleven football rosters for our, our all American teams. It only seems appropriate. How can you have four quarterbacks on your first team? And I'm not even talking about all American teams. There's a couple of conferences that do it this way. That is not super helpful. It doesn't really tell us who the best quarterback is in your conference. Anyway, I digress. But not quite. We'll digress back into the mailbag. Matt Zepp at MJ Zepp asks, how is the free COVID year still affecting D3 football? Interesting question, right? So, of course, if uh, you understand uh, back in 2020, there really wasn't a football season. Some teams played up to five games in the spring of 2021, but there was no championship that year, no postseason, anything like that. So anybody who played that year did not have a season of eligibility counted against their four Specific teams have specific players back. These are players who would have been sophomores in 2020. So, you know, we're beginning to get to the end of this being a specific thing that helps Division Three football programs, right? Then, nonetheless, you look at our All-America list of the 75, I believe it was, seniors, players listed as seniors on our postseason team last year. 27 of them came back. So that is a... Uh, a significant influx of talent at some specific schools like uh, Mount Union, Braxton Plunk and Wayne Ruby, both, I believe, of who played quite a bit in that uh, spring of 2021. They are back. Uh, they will be making a big impact on the Division three football landscape. But I think it's kind of just going to be spots here and there. Right. I don't think there's a, a blanket statement you can make about affecting Division three football as a whole at this point. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think that you can. I think, I think we're sort of getting into the period of, of this uh, COVID eligibility where maybe we see a lot more of the players that are coming back for an extra year of eligibility are doing so on like a graduate transfer and moving on. I think we're sort of moving beyond the point where people at traditional four-year undergraduate schools just kind of hang around for an extra year. Uh, to play. I think folks are graduating, moving on to graduate school to continue to play. But no, there are certainly uh, fifth-year seniors uh, out there that are going to be really impactful this season. Braxton Plunk and Wayne Ruby are the two that come to mind most. We weren't sure that either of those two were going to come back after the stag bolt last year. We thought that might be careers for those two, but they're going to they're gonna run it back and see if they can finish the deal. And there are going to be some other schools that have some standout players as well coming back for fifth years. But as I mean, we're not, I don't think that we're tracking that quite as strongly as we were in 2022, where we had 
a whole bunch of teams with like 30 seniors or fall 21. Um, Wheaton had a whole slew of kids that came back uh, to try and win that championship that year. So I, I think we're kind of out of that zone where we have teams that have 25 or 30 seniors and 10 or 15 super seniors, but certainly there are going to be some impact players on that fifth year. There are also some impact players who were in division three last year who were taking that super senior year somewhere else, like outside of the division altogether. Uh, Leon Johnson, the third was a uh, all American wide receiver last year for George Fox. He is playing at Oklahoma state this fall. Uh, Phil Lutz was a D three all American wide receiver, third teamer for us. He played for Tufts last year. He's playing for University of Delaware at the D1 FCS level this year. Even someone like Zachary Kim, who is a guy who we would have looked at for our preseason All-America team this year. He had a great season, especially down the stretch as a sophomore last year for Kenyon. We're talking about Kenyan football on this podcast. He is now at the University of New Hampshire. That's another D1 FCS school. And those guys are not alone. There are other people who have uh, made that jump as well. Their guys are doing it in Division Three basketball. A bunch of guys who do it in Division Three baseball. Baseball's always been a very mobile sport. A uh, lot more transferring in that realm, even before the days of the transfer portal, even before the extra COVID year of eligibility. I look forward to seeing who among those guys has an impact at the next level and what kind of you know shine it gives to Division Three. I think we know that uh, the top guys at Division Three can compete in a lot of places across the college football spectrum. That we do. It's always fun to see uh, guys that made a name or you know had a had a really strong Division Three career go and play FCS or FBS football and be guys, be like actual guys that. Sometimes make uh, make your your recruiting guys look a little silly. How did how did you miss this guy three or four years ago? You know, but uh, best of luck to all of those players, and they're you know chasing that football dream. Back to the mailbag for Gusty J thirteen G U S T Y J one three saying Skyac teams have been scheduling conference opponents for non-conference games for a few years now and NWC teams Northwest Conference teams Two scholars rock fresh, north by northwest and it's still no rest cuz we're not finished yet. are beginning to do the same starting this year are we approaching the days where the island conferences out here play zero games against other conferences so first off his initial premise is absolutely accurate the Skyac actually even this year broke into two divisions, divisions of the handful of remaining schools. So, Greg, you should probably quiz me, but I think the answer is six. And it's uh, Claremont Mudscripts and Pomona Pitzer and Laverne and Redlands and Cal Lutheran and Chapman. Chapman, Chapman, Chapman. That's all of them. That's all around the board. Because Whittier dropped football uh, just this past offseason, and Occidental dropped football a couple years earlier. So they're down to six teams. Uh, the Northwest Conference, yeah, the Oregon schools not named Linfield uh, in the Northwest Conference announced basically this sort of thing that's very much like the Little Three or the CBB rivalry up in the NESCAC, uh, where you have schools that play each other in your conference game, and then you also have schools... Uh, like Colby Bates and Bowden all play each other in non-conference. And that's the only time you'll ever hear the CBB rivalry put ahead of the little three, which is Amherst, Wesleyan, and Williams. So this is going to be Lewis and Clark, Willamette, George Fox and Pacific, right? 
Those it's all four of them in the Oregon Cup, the Oregon Cup. So they're playing each other twice. Gusty, great question. Certainly the dwindling away of football programs in California is not limited to the Skyac. There's a dearth of opponents. And if Skyac teams don't want to schedule Northwest Conference teams, is this what we're left with? Maybe a little bit. I don't think we get to the point where the Island Conference is out here. The Skyac and the Northwest Conference don't play anybody outside of conference. I can't imagine that being popular at Linfield. I can't imagine that being popular at Whitworth. Uh, doesn't sound like I can't imagine be popular for Redlands or Claremont or Pomona. I think it's worth noting here that this year Claremont Mudscripts and Pomona Pitzer they are they are traveling to non-conference games. Claremont Mudscripts is going to go to University of Chicago. Pomona Pitzer is going to Carlton. I believe those games have returns next year. So there are some action for the Skyac outside of the Skyac and the Northwest Conference. Look, it's. It's expensive to pick your football team up and travel a couple thousand miles. Like that's 75 players and coaches and all that gear. It's expensive. Some schools can do it. Some schools struggle with that. So you're out here in Southern California, in the Southern California Island Traditionally, your non-conference games have come mostly from uh, teams in a similar situation in the Northwest. Um, are we going to get to a point where those conferences aren't scheduling games with one another? I don't think so. I think they kind of need each other to fill out schedules um, without having to do multiple round robins inside the conference. But, you know, we'll see. Hopefully, Hopefully, it's a trend that turns around the other way. I'd definitely like to see the teams in the Skyac and the Northwest conference get some more play with teams in the Midwest or East. But again, a division three athletics budgets are not unlimited and you, you make do with what you're able to given what you can get approved by, by your department. There are eight uh, games between Skyac and Northwest conference teams this year. Last year, there were 13. The year before, there were 13. Obviously, some of those included Whittier, which is no longer playing. But it, obviously, there's a number there. It's going down, but it does still exist. Speaking of conferences that don't play out of conference, Pat, the PAC this year is going to be one of those conferences. Yeah, that's pretty crazy to me still, even though we've known about this for a little while. And it's exceedingly temporary. It's going to be fixed again coming up in 2025. But for this year and I guess next year, the President's Athletic Conference is going to play no non-conference games whatsoever. So if you're someone who is thinking about how do we vote for these teams for the top 25 when we don't know anything about how they might fare out of conference, um, you're probably asking a good question. If you're somebody who ranks conferences, for example and has no data with which to actually do it? That's another great question. NESCAC does it all the time, and we just don't rank them because they don't play in the playoffs either, but the pack will still take its playoff bid, and we'll just have to see if the one representative... And I have to think, if you've got four at-large bids and someone has no non-conference games whatsoever, that conference is not going to get one of those at-large bids. So you got your one playoff team there performance positive or negative is going to 
you know, color how the entire conference is looked at next year. Is a lot of weight on that first round playoff game, isn't it? Sure is. Sure is. Why don't we talk about first round playoff games? And we'll go to David J. Ziemba, Z-I-E-M-B-A. I spell these things out because then you can go and look at these things actually on X slash Twitter because these are actual questions. We did not make them up. All right. This person's question was, DePaul continues to strongly build their program, predicted to win the NCAC for the third straight year, but, question mark, keep hitting juggernauts in the playoffs, period. What's the likelihood that they make it past the first round this year? Okay, so this is one of those where I'm going to dispute the premise of the question a little bit. Yeah, they played Carnegie Mellon in the first round last year. The year before that, they played Rose Holman. These are not the juggernauts at all if you're uh, talking about uh, Division Three football. No, so as as we talked about earlier, there are only four at-large bids in this year's tournament. So you look through DePaul's schedule. They are playing out-of-conference games against Rose Holman and Anderson. Traditionally, plugging into the HCAC ecosystem is not a is not a winner for building strength of schedule. So it doesn't look like there's going to be enough strength of schedule juice for DePaul to not win the North Coast and make the tournament. So first, they need to win the North Coast. And, you know, the preseason poll has predicted DePaul to win, being chosen by the coaches in the preseason to win, and winning are different things, as we know. Getting chosen to win a conference in the preseason by the coaches is just as much a reflection of someone winning it last year as much as it is anything else. I have seen so many coaches' polls say exactly the same order of finish as the previous years because nobody wants to go out on a limb and say anything different. Yes, and if you look at last year, DePaul, they did not run the table in the NCAC. They did lose a game, and so, I mean, there's some competitive games in the North Coast that DePaul is going to have to navigate uh, in order to win that conference again and qualify for the tournament again. But then if DePaul does win the North Coast Athletic Conference, their geography really comes into play. You can draw a 500-mile circle around DePaul, and they are reachable by all manner of Division Three powerhouses, North Central, Mount Union, any of the WIACs that might qualify, Wartburg, Wheaton, an OAC runner-up, even Aurora is maybe not a team that you want to see early <laughs> in the tournament. Am I right? Yeah. Wisconsin Whitewater. So if you're hoping to advance, like these are all teams that are around DePaul, all teams that are likely to be in the tournament, and you simply can't avoid any of those teams for very long based on the way brackets are put together with you know geography playing a component there. Yeah, basically, if you want to avoid a really good team in that part of the country and you're not in the OAC or in the CCIW or in the WIAC, then you need to go 10-0. and You need to play some pretty strong teams out of conference. And then your best case scenario is to be like a four-seed at home or a three-seed at home. And then you might get the OAC runner-up or the second-place team out of the WIAC or something like that. Short version of this story is... You you got to run the table, but you also have to play better teams in running the table as well. Good question, David. Appreciate that. One more out of the mailbag, and this is Reed Rosales, R-E-E-D-R-R-O-S-L-A-S, traditional spelling of Reed Rosales, asking, what's a team in the top 25 that you think is most likely to have a down year this season? 
Great question. Um, I know that I put on my ballot, well, actually, I didn't put on my ballot a team that's in the top 15 in our poll. But I think another one that would uh, merit being looked at is Delaware Valley. Yeah, I had circled Delaware Valley. We're going to find out about Delaware Valley really quickly. They're going to play um, Cortland in week one. So we're going to find out, you know, if Delaware Valley is in a rebuild or reload situation. Um, I think they have eight seniors on their roster. Yeah. Really going from a really hyper experienced team to one that doesn't have a ton of proven guys back this year. These are guys who graduated a ton of guys off of their stalwart defensive front. You know, both Nobile brothers finally out of eligibility at Del Val. I feel like, you know, their number 10 ranking in the preseason is more a measure of what they've done over the past several years than a, an accurate predictor of what they're going to do this season. Delaware Valley's probably still talented enough to win the MAC, I think. So I think, you know, down year could still wind up being in the playoffs for Delaware Valley, but I don't know that Delaware Valley is hosting a quarterfinal kind of uh, kind of good again this year. Of course, now that we've been put on the spot to sort of choose a team that's going to have a down year, like we're starting off great here, Pat, like picking against teams already. We're going to be very popular in uh, Doylestown, Pennsylvania. I think we're going to be popular in Arden Hills, Minnesota also, or at least I will be. I'm going to talk about Bethel. I talked about it a little bit on Twitter, but, uh, you know, Bethel uh, is a program that has been in this situation before where they have had their great ultra senior laden team, often with a really strong quarterback. And that guy graduates, and it takes him a little bit. It takes him a little while, right? Uh, case in point, I have so many cases in point because you go to d3football.com and you see the uh, records for every team every year back to 1998. So let's start in 2007. 2007, Bethel goes 12-2. and They go to the national semifinals. They lose by a lot at Mount Union. And then the next year they go five and five. Like they graduate those guys off that run. They go five and five. They build it back up in 2010. 2010 is the next time they played in the playoffs. They went 12 and two that year. The 2010 Bethel team went to Mount Union again. They lost 34, 14 in the national semifinals there. Got knocked back. They did not go to the playoffs the next year. They went eight and two, eight and two and six and two of the MIAC. That's that's their, you know, maybe their uh, one of their best performances coming off a year like that. 2013, they go 12 and one. This is the team that went to the national quarterfinals and lost on a hyper frozen field in the quarterfinals to North Central. The next year, they go seven and three. They don't go back to the playoffs until 2018. That's four years out of the playoffs. Then they go 11 and two in 2018. The Royals go to the quarterfinals they lose 26 12 at whitewater the next year is a pretty decent year for them but they do not make the playoffs they go eight and two they lost to st john's 19 zip they lost to st thomas 17 7 what i am saying by bringing all of this data to the table is that there are programs who rebuild and there are programs who reload and so far Bethel has not shown that it's a program that just automatically reloads. The programs that do that are the elite. They're the elite programs in Division Three football. 
you don't worry about Mount Union not making the playoffs because a quarterback graduated. You don't worry about North Central now not making the playoffs because a quarterback graduated or, you know, or the same at Mary Harden Baylor or a relatively small number of other institutions in the Division Three football pantheon. But I, I just look at Bethel and think the same thing. So our voters put these guys number 14 in the preseason this year. I don't think they'll be able to live up to that ranking. And that's another instance where we will know right away they start off their season not until week two, but they host Wartburg and they go to Eau Claire and then they play St. John's. Those are your first three games, two of them against teams in the top, what, six teams in the top six. We'll know. We'll know soon. But I uh, that's one of my teams I think is going to have a down year. Yeah, I think this, this is an interesting question also, Pat, because how how do you measure what's a down year for people? I mean, are we talking about a team that's ranked in the top 25 that we don't think will make the playoffs and end up six and four or something? Or you could have a team like UMHB that is, you know, there's uncertainty about their future. Um, they're replacing a ton of really, really gifted players on the offensive side of the ball. We don't know exactly what they're going to look like early on and they play a series of very difficult games. UMHB could lose two or three games this year. It wouldn't be a huge surprise. That would be a down year for them, but they could still be very good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, talked about this when we put out the top 25 poll. I made a post to our Patreon subscribers, Patreon subscribers. We can talk a little bit more about that in a couple of minutes. Um, but you know, uh, Mary Harden Baylor this year, they are ranked fifth on three ballots. They're ranked sixth on two. And then one voter has them number 10 in the country. There are some people who are reading these leading indicators and predicting that they'll be not as good as the number three, which is what their overall preseason ranking is. Yeah. And you could do the, you could do a similar uh, analysis with a team like Whitewater, they're a team with a very difficult schedule. Their Whitewater's front eight, I think, are ridiculous. Uh, and that's a team, new head coach, developing some new offensive players as well. So we don't we don't know where Whitewater is gonna is gonna land right out of the shoot, and they don't have time to really get things together. That's a team that could lose multiple times and wind up in a place that they don't usually find themselves, but still be better than most teams. Right. I mean, frankly in the final analysis, that is what Whitewater was last year, right? They were eight and three. They didn't lose to any uh, terrible programs. They don't really play any terrible programs either. Uh, Whitewater starts off with at John Carroll, then home to St. John's, then at Mary Harden Baylor. Whitewater got voted as high as number four. They got one number four vote from a coach in a different part of the country. They also got a number 24 vote. For disclosure, I ranked Lacrosse 12, Whitewater 13, River Falls 18, Oshkosh 19. And Greg, I think that's what the WIAC is going to be like this year. Not that that is the actual, has to be the actual order, but you're going to see, I think what we saw in the final analysis last year was no one great national semifinalist type team necessarily, but four really, really, really good teams that are going to slobber knock each other. Absolutely. Week to week in that league this year is going to be absolutely wild. Great teams, great players, teams that know each other really well and just always compete really well. There there are not many of those games against the top 
five or even six sometimes YAC teams that are not four quarter games that have you uh, watching intently down to the last drive. If you want to know a little bit more about Whitewater this season, go back to podcast 328. That's when we talked to Jace Rindle, the new head coach at Whitewater. We also in that podcast talked with Jeff Berman, who's the new head coach at John Carroll. So that's one worth listening to. I promise. Why it will be fun. I don't know, though, Greg, if anything can live up to this, not just the YX season, but the overall Division Three football season we had last year. It seemed like even though and we have all of these great games and we'll talk about a bunch of them in our next podcast, a bunch of those uh, week one games. I don't know how we could possibly live up to the season we had last year. No, I think it's going to take a little bit of expectations management as we as we start here on August 31st. And into week one last year, we looked at some of these um, powerhouse non-conference games that like, these are an oddity. We don't get many top 10 games between teams from different regions. We got a number of those last year and every single one of them delivered. We're going to get a bunch of those games again this year, maybe even a few more of those kinds of, of games this year. I'm going to try not to set myself up to see you know, expect games that are won by blocked extra points in overtime <laughs> or, you know, fourth, fourth and less than one getting stuffed followed by 99 yard, two minute drills to win. I know exactly which games you're talking about. <laughs> I'm going to try to not expect those things. I hope we get one or two of those, but I think we are set up for some really intriguing matchups in the first few weeks before we get into conference play. And who knows? Maybe we'll get something approaching 2022 as a football season. I'd have to think, Greg, that with the at-large playoff picture getting even tighter, pressure is on these guys to go 10-0, and win their conference by any means necessary, and if not, go 9-1 and and be super mega competitive. And you talked about it uh, at this point with so few teams, you, you know, before the season starts, just by looking at the schedule, who is even going to really be uh, a legitimate at large candidate if they end up in that spot. Yeah. And you can see from some of the teams and some of the schedules that we have, you can sort of see here's five or 10 teams that are going to have strengths of schedule above 550, maybe even above 600. I mean, there are some really, really difficult schedules out there. Those are the teams that if they can manage to not lose three times, uh, those are the teams that are going to be really pushing for those four at-large bids. I don't know that nine and one with an 0 and one against ranked opponents and a, and a 491 strength of schedule or even like a 505 strength of schedule. Even like a 525. Well, I don't know that that kind of thing is going to work this year. I don't know that there's going to be a lot of room for those kinds of, of resumes, you know, in, in years past with five and six at large bids, you can get one or two of those kinds of teams in there, but I don't with down to four. I don't know that. I don't know that there's room for that. So automatic bids, that's how you qualify for week 12 this year, especially you can find all the schedules for 2023 on the D3 football.com website. You can look ahead to that great week one that we've got coming up, but we will look at week one coming up in about a week. 
And this was Around the Nation podcast number 330, released on August 21st of 2023. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for continuing coverage as we get this season underway. You can support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports. But if you can't afford to support us financially, you can always help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell a fellow alum, tell the people at the tailgate that you're at in week one. Tell them about this podcast. You can also rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Yeah, we still have a message board. We've had it since 1997. Uptime on that website is about 99.2%. Uh, you can join the conversation by registering to post with a legitimate email address at d3boards.com. Boards is in message boards. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. And, you know, we'll be on Twitter or X or whatever it is as long as we can manage to do so. I don't know. Look for us someday on Mastodon or on Blue Sky or on Discord. Um, you know, if if Twitter is not working for people, we want to disseminate real-time information on a game day. We'll figure out how to get it to you. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Patrick Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. You hear that? That's this. This thing. We use more of his tracks as well. You can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Keith McMillan, he was the OG host, the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com. We're super grateful for that. Thanks to Keith for everything he's done for the site and this podcast. But even more grateful, Greg in your fourth season as not only columnist but co-host of the show thank you for that my pleasure four seasons fourth season is it fourth four seasons i should probably get a pop filter for this thing greg greg's been the co-host for four seasons frankie valley in the four seasons reference the grandparents on this listening to this podcast are gonna love that reference i could use a four seasons right now I need some vacation time, some R and R. Took a, a midday stroll around campus the other day, and I'm happy to report that the grass at Merritt Field is green again. Uh, I know the last time we checked in on it in week 11 last year, it was a little little dusty uh-huh. out there at Pomona Pitzer. I haven't been there in now probably a decade or longer, but it seemed like it needed a roller, man. That thing. Oh, that is like the rough at the U.S. Open. It's maintained pretty well. It is like the crown on that field is more pronounced than most, but I also for a long time didn't see a lot of natural grass fields. So we see even fewer now. Yes, the grass is green. Grounds crew got that puppy looking good again. Lines were painted on the field. I think uh, I think the student athletes came back to campus this week and and stagehands will get on their Skyac title defense starting now. I know the folks down the street at Claremont Mud Scripps are looking at some pretty interesting plans for a football stadium themselves. Yes, lots of expansion and new things going up at CMS. I know they've got a big, big capital project for some athletics facilities over there. 
what we've talked about doesn't even really scratch the surface of how those two athletic programs slash five schools all overlap. I want to send you to Greg's column from November 10th of last year. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The headline is Rivals So Close They Share a Campus. That is the story of Claremont Mudscripts and Pomona Pitcher. And Pat, don't edit out a whole bunch so that you can be right. <laughs>